0: thank you so much. Scotty back there pulling double duty playing the drums and playing the bass all at the same time. (laughs) Bless your heart. (laughs) Uh, Just a couple of things before I get to my message this morning and again thank you so much for being here today. I know that it wasn't easy for anyone and it would have been much easier to just have rolled over in that warm bed and And stayed there for a while but uh, thankful that you're here and thank you for all the the prayers for Brenda and her family. Um, As I said in my prayer uh, we are Tara and I will be and the girls will be leaving for Garden City immediately after our lunch today. Um, It looks like we are in the closing days of, of Wanda's life and uh, Brenda probably will not be available for a while, so I know you'll understand all of that, but please join us afterwards for the time of lunch. I promise you, today we have plenty of food. I, I promise you that. So come with big appetites, spend all the time that you need. Also, once you, I announced this last Sunday, but you'll be seeing posters both on the doors outside and in the community here uh, in the coming few days about um, an evening of worship and prayer for our community. The first one of these will be held here at the church on Thursday evening, March the 14th um, at uh, 7 o'clock. And so uh, we want every one of, of you who can make it. Uh, we're inviting all of the, the congregations in liberal that have an interest of this liberal and surrounding area. We just believe that this is something uh, some of us pastors have put together that we want to start working together to, to counteract the darkness of this community. And so we want to present a united front. We want to come and just have an evening of worship, praying for our community, praying for the lost of our community. And it's going to be a, a wonderful time together. So put that on your calendars Thursday, March the 14th at 7 p.m. Also, out on the Welcome Center, out in the foyer, you will find some little pamphlets called My Heart, Christ's Home during last sunday 's message, I shared with you uh, a, a, a this miniature sermonette that was written years ago, and those pamphlets were supposed to be here last week u uh, p s had other ideas or FedEx or whoever it was, and they didn 't get here in time but you can grab one of those pamphlets they 're free um, you know uh, just to uh, be a tremendous blessing to you as you're you're uh, pursuing to begin looking like Jesus looks. How many of you want to look like Jesus? Amen. You want your lives to reflect that Jesus has touched and done something uh, substantial in each of your lives. And so this, this little book, uh, along with the sermon that I preached last Sunday, are, is a great tool uh, that you can utilize. There's plenty of them for everyone, so be sure and pick one up uh, before you leave. Ah, uh, wow. Part seven of our sermon series um, I finished the little sermon set series within a series last week uh, on spiritual growth, and today I'm going to move on to talk to you about spiritual disciplines. If you have your Bible or you have your your uh, Bible app on your smartphone, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. Uh, those of you who were here on Wednesday night for our adult Bible study, um, you heard me quote this passage of Scripture several times. This passage of Scripture is really becoming uh, a sort of a, a I don't want to say a motto, but it, it's becoming more and more by the day a creed by which I am seeing God move in our world. Uh, how many of you know you can't put God in a box? Uh, God's going to be God, okay? And, and, and God's going to do things, and the way God does things rarely is going to make, Sense according to our way of thinking, but I want to think like Jesus does. Amen. I, I want my life to have to have his his uh, disciplines. And Jesus was a very disciplined person during his his earthly life. And you know, back when we began this series on on discipleship several months ago, now we were we started in the book of Hebrews, and you might want to just go there right quick. And, so I can give you a refresher course. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 12, the first two verses, There's it's something very important that we've kind of used as our premise for this entire series. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, where it says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. This is a race we're running. This race is called life. And I intend to hit the finish line with a burst of speed and energy. Amen? I I, I don't want to come... Scratching my way up the steps to the throne, and say, phew, Glad I made it." I want to. I want to finish with a kick, so to speak. And, and so, in this entire series, we've learned that this idea of discipleship is becoming is, is all about becoming more like Jesus, and that that is our goal in in running the race. And there, in Hebrews, that writer uh, likened the process of discipleship again to being in a race, and the Apostle Paul uses the same imagery as he speaks to us about the importance of discipline in our lives. Now, I'm going to get to 1 Corinthians in, in just a, a, a bit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, I think I said 1 Corinthians 1 earlier, but it's 1 Corinthians 9. Um, back in Paul's day, in the city of Corinth... They had what was known as the Ithmian Games, I-T-H-M-I-A-N, Ithmian Games. They were second in importance only to the Olympic Games that were held in in Athens at that time, And, and so Paul uses this imagery in talking to the church in Corinth about the Ithmian Games, and it's not surprising that, again, Paul uses athletic imagery to speak of the value, value of discipline in seeking to become more like Jesus. And here in chapter number 9 of 1 Corinthians, beginning with verse number 4, he, uh, he speaks of our need to run this race of life in such a way as to get the prize. Let's read his words there, beginning with verse number 24. Do you not know that all the runners in a stadium race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one who beats the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. What a great passage. He's not talking here, friends, about salvation. He isn't here urging the lost to work hard in order of reaching their goal of salvation. Neither is he talking about striving to live in such a way as to receive heaven as a reward. Now listen carefully. He's talking about striving to live in such a way as to receive a reward when we get to heaven. Now, we all know heaven's going to be at the finish line, amen? And we're all thankful for that. But it's not just about gaining heaven. It's about gaining a reward when we get to heaven. That's what he's talking about. One day, every disciple, every follower of Jesus is going to give an account to God concerning the life that they have lived here below some will be rewarded and some won't the degree to which i will one day be rewarded will be determined by the degree to which i develop christ-like character in my life while i'm still here how many of you think that's important The degree to which I'm going to be rewarded will be proportionate to the degree in which I develop Christ-like character in my life here. So Paul is telling us in this passage that if we're going to develop Christ-like character for which we will one day receive a reward, we will have to understand the value of discipline. One cannot be a disciple without learning discipline. Paul told his student Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the latter part of verse number 7, train or discipline yourself in godliness. Now, if I'm going to develop Christ-like character in my life, that means that there are certain disciplines or habits that I need to practice or train in as a part of my lifestyle. I used to teach a class to uh, a bunch of of, of guys who had a requirement for um, support groups like AA and NA. Well, we came up with a face based one called Freedom from Addiction. And I used to teach that class, and every week, every week, uh, the guys, uh, it wasn't just guys, everybody that was there... We'd have to repeat this every week. Every week. Here it is. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. You want to hear that again? Sow a thought, reap an act sow an act, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. That is the mantra by which we taught discipline. Now, for those guys, it meant probably some different things other than what it will mean for those of us here this morning. But suffice it to say that as we allow the Spirit of God to renew our minds, we will act in ways that are pleasing to God. And as we act in ways that are pleasing to God, we will develop habits that will develop Christ-like character in our lives. And as we develop that Christ-like character, we will then fulfill or win the race, if you want to call it that. We will fulfill our destiny Of becoming just like Jesus. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3. He said, Beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when we see him, we shall be like him. For we will see him face to face. Now we're going to stand before Jesus. Is everybody okay with that? You all agree with that? We're going to stand before Jesus, face to face. How many of you want to look like him at that moment? That's kind of a dumb question, isn't it? I I want to resemble him in more ways than one, put it that way. And when I stand before him, I want to hear the words from him, well done, good and faithful servant. In other words, Terry, you've done a good job. I don't want to hear it. Terry, (laughs) that's not in my plans. I, I want to get the prize. I want to hear the reward. I live for those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And if I'm living for those words, and that will be the crowning point of my destiny, then it's going to require that I discipline myself in ways while I'm still here. Discipline was the key to Jesus himself fulfilling the will of the Father when he lived here on earth. Now, we may not think about that a lot, but the writer to Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, though a son, he, speaking of Jesus, learned obedience Jesus learned obedience. Now, I know we have some misconceptions about Jesus. and I mean, He's the Son of God. He was divine. He was God in the flesh. But friends, while He was here, He was human. Just like you and I are. Jesus grew up just like we grew up. He learned just like we learned. He wasn't born with with Scripture pre-programmed or downloaded into his head. Now, I know he was the Word made flesh, and you'll and give me a little latitude on what I'm saying here. It was important that he disciplined himself in order to accomplish the will of his heavenly Father. He, as a human being, had to learn the same disciplines that you and I have to learn. One of my favorite verses in the Gospels is found in Luke chapter number two, verse number 52. There it speaks of Jesus as a child. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He was learning as he grew. He was his, disciplining his life as he grew up. And if we're going to be just like Jesus, we have to learn obedience through developing what I call disciple habits. Paul tells us about the importance of discipline in developing Christ like character. He tells us that if we're going to develop Christ like character, here's the first step be discriminating in what we do. Be discriminating in what we do. Look at verse number 25. It says, everyone who competes exercises self-control in some things. Is that what it says? I'm just testing you to see if you're with me this morning. Everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. Everything. Just as an athlete gives priority to habits that will develop him or her to become a champion, a disciple will give priority to habits that will develop Christ-like character. How many of you have some habits that probably need working on? Oh, I know we're few in number this morning, friends, but help me out here. We all have some habits that need working on in order to make us more like Jesus, right? Right? And as we study the scriptures, we discover four of those habits that Jesus told his disciples that they needed to make a part of their lifestyle. The first one is the habit of meditating on the word of God. John chapter 8, verse number 31. Jesus told his disciples, if you abide in my word, that is Hold fast to the teachings and live in accordance to those teachings. You are truly my disciples if you abide in my word. How many of you could do a better job at abiding in the word? I'll raise my hand. I'm not ashamed to tell you that. I need all the word of God I can get. And and as, as I abide in the word, the spirit continues to turn on the light. How many of you remember, well, what was it, Ford Motor Company used to have the little light bulb that they'd, they'd use in their commercial uh, indicating that Ford had a better idea? You know what? It's kind of like I have one of those light bulbs in my head. And the more that I study the, God's Word, at, at specific points in my life, even though I may be familiar with a certain scripture, I'll read that scripture again and poof. All of a sudden, the light bulb goes on. And it's like, boy, that applies to me. That's what he's talking about. If you continue to abide in my word, that is, hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you will truly be my disciple. He told Joshua back in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything in it, written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. I know I'm asking a lot of questions, but I'm going to continue to ask them. How many of you want to prosper and succeed in your life for Jesus? There's the recipe. Hide his word in your heart. The psalmist said, I hide your word in my heart that I might not Sin against God. So the first habit is you need to learn to meditate on the Word of God. The second one is the habit of prayer. Again, Jesus speaking to his disciples in John 15 verse number 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Ask what you will, and it will be done. But you know what the key to that is? You know what the qualifier is? If you remain in me. If you remain in him, you're not going to ask him necessarily for a Mercedes. You're going to ask him about things that really matter. You're going to ask him for things that really matter. Lord, help me to live my life in such a way that I gain the prize. That I I develop the things that make me look more like you. God, those are the things that really are important to me. And he said, if you ask them, you will get them. Ask what you will, and it will be done for you. Thirdly, the habit of giving, Luke chapter 14, verse number 33, the amplified version says, so then any of you who does not forsake, that is, renounce, surrender, claim to, give up, or say goodbye to, all that he has cannot be my disciple. I'm just going to say this, and I'll leave it at that. Whatever I have that God wants from me, he can have it right? Everything I have is already his anyway. If he requires it of me, if I have to give it up, if I have to surrender it in order to be more like him, I'm okay with that because I'll tell you why. I've never given up anything for God that he hasn't more than replaced with something better. So I have to be willing. I have to be willing to give. Fourthly, the habit of fellowship. This is a good day to talk about this one. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, and this is the message translation. Let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I have loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. When they see the love that you have for each other. Boy, now that's kind of a tall order. How do you think Jesus loves you? And Have you thought about that lately? How do you think Jesus loves you? Does he love you quite a bit? Uh, does he love you with any restrictions? Greater love than he... Greater love has he... Let me try it again. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Love one another in the same way that I have loved you. Friends, he didn't just say it. He did it. Matter of fact... He loved us when some of us were unlovable. You know, there have been a few certain people in my life that's come across my path that were a little hard to love. I'm sure Jesus can identify with that. There was a time in my life when I'm sure it was hard for Jesus to love me knowing everything that I knew about him, and yet I chose not to walk in his ways. That would be difficult, but he loved me anyway. The habit of fellowship. Remember what 12, Hebrews 12.1 12, said, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That means we draw strength from one another. What gives us that strength? It's the fact that we love one another. I don't know anybody in this room that if they found came across someone that needed a coat more than they did that wouldn't gladly give it up for them. That's a symbol of love. Now, I've never been asked to lay my life down for anyone, but I would like to think that I could do that. Jesus may ask that of us at some point in time, that we lay our life as it is before him let me tell you what friends i can tell you right now i love jesus that much i love him that much i could lay down my life for what i believe about him i could lay down my life for my faith all of that to say this a disciple is one who disciplines him or herself to do the right things the habit of meditating on the Word, the habit of prayer, the habit of giving, the habit of fellowship. And the second thing that we must do if we're, going to disc- if we're going to develop Christ-like character in our lives is to be deliberate in what we do. The first one, if you remember right, was be discriminating in what we do. The second one is to be deliberate in what we do. Verse 26, Paul says, Therefore I do not run like one who runs aimlessly. A runner who is competing in a distance race, like the marathon or even the mile, will not expend all of his or her energy in the first portion of the race. They will pace themselves and wait until the right time to make their move toward the head of the pack as they push toward the finish line. Likewise, Paul uses the analogy of a boxer. He says a boxer does not throw, just throw his punches indiscriminately. He will study his opponent and follow a strategy to defeat him. Now, I confess to you that what I'm getting ready to say, I have never used as an illustration in my life when preaching. I've never used before Muhammad Ali as an example for what I want to share with you about this. But how many of you are boxing fans? Oh, boxing isn't what it used to be. Back in the days of Muhammad Ali... Cassius Clay, whatever you want to call him, Sonny Liston, Rocky Marciano, Joe Lewis. Of course, they were a little bit before my time, but I was a kid when Muhammad Ali was dominating the boxing world. And I loved boxing. And I loved listening to Howard Cosell broadcast his fights. But let me tell you something about Muhammad Ali. I watched a lot of Muhammad Ali's boxing matches But back in 1967, Muhammad Ali had been stripped of his heavyweight championship belt, suspended for three and a half years for his refusal to serve in the U.S. military because of his faith. Well, during that time, the time that he was suspended, a boxer by the name of Smokin' Joe Frazier became champion of the world. And then when Ali came back three and a half years later... He and Frazier had a match to settle who was the real champion. Now, Frazier won that match, which caused Ali to have to fight a series of lesser opponents for years in order to gain another shot at regaining his lost title. Well, in the meantime, there was another fighter coming on the scene, a burly big man named George Foreman. Remember George? Not the grill, the fighter, he won the heavyweight championship in 19, at the 1968 Olympics and then he immediately turned professional after the Olympics and he soon gained enough stature in the boxing world that they gave him a match against the heavyweight champion Joe Frazier. In two rounds, George Foreman knocked down Joe Frazier six times. So much so that the match was stopped early in the third round, and George Foreman became the heavyweight champion of the world. Now, at this time, he's 25 years old, the champion, and there was a 32-year-old boxer named Muhammad Ali who was hungry to have a shot to regain his title. So they scheduled a fight. You might have heard of it. It was called the Rumble in the Jungle. It was held in Zaire, Africa. Now Foreman, Foreman was a brawler. and He was known for his heavy hands, for his knockout punch. Muhammad Ali, on the other hand, he was known for his speed and his finesse in the ring. He was was a work of art to watch inside the ring. And uh, it's important for us to know that because... Those qualities, remember I said you got to know about your opponent. You've got to be able to study your opponent to be deliberate in what you do. Ali studied Foreman. He realized that Foreman's entire plan in that match was to knock Ali out as soon as he possibly could. So Ali came up with this plan. It was called the rope-a-dope. The reason it was called the rope-a-dope is because Ollie's plan was to let Foreman flail away while Ollie laid back on the ropes of the ring like a dope, for, so Foreman would flail away like a dope, and that's exactly the way the batch went. Ollie covered up, and Foreman was throwing these heavy blows, and they were all hitting Ollie's gloves, and Foreman just kept throwing harder blows and harder blows for eight rounds. At the end of the seventh round, Foreman was gassed from throwing all of those blows with nothing being done in the way of effectiveness. That was Ali's plan. Ali, whose speed allowed him to dodge those blows, or at least take those punches to his arms and body, came out for the eighth round. Foreman was what they call in the boxing world punched out. He could hardly lift his arms. And how many of you know, you may not know anything about boxing, but I'll bet you know this. How many of you know for a boxer it's important to be able to lift your arms? <laughs> you can't guard your face if you can't lift your arms. Ali, seeing Foreman, was exhausted then pounced, and he hit Foreman with a couple of hard right hands, hit him with a quick five-punch combination, which nobody could throw faster than Muhammad Ali, by the way. And then he hit him with a devastating left hook that caught Foreman square on the chin and knocked him out, and the title was Ali's once again. Now, why am I sharing that less-than-interesting story with some of you? Because it's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He says, Neither does a boxer aimlessly flail away with punches. It's not enough for a disciple to merely involve themselves in disciplines of study, prayer, giving, and fellowship. They always need to be learning how to do things in their life more effectively. A disciple is one who will discipline him or herself to do the right things in the best possible way. What do I mean by that, practically speaking? If you're one who is given to all kinds of Bible plans, how many of you find a Bible plan that you follow religiously through the course of the year? Nobody? I can't. I can't do that. I'll set out on January 1st with a resolution to read the Bible through in the course of the year. And boy, I'd I'd do it like gangbusters religiously until I come to Leviticus. You know what I mean. And all of a sudden, it's just, I mean, it's just not there anymore. So I have learned over the course of a number of years a... A set reading plan doesn't work for me, but I'll tell you what does work. When I start studying God's Word, something will hit me. About 10 years ago, I spent six months preaching from 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. I couldn't get enough of 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. I read it over and over and over again, and every time I would read it, the Lord would give me another sermon to go along with it. And I preached it for six months. And I found that since then in my Bible reading, God will do that same thing. Like right now, it's 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verses 24 through 27. How God confounds the, the, wit, the wise of this world with foolish things. How, how God takes the things that people think are the way to go and brings them to naught. That, that verse, is, that passage is just consuming me now, and, and that's the way that I study the Word. So, for me, because when I, when I get to one of those chapters like Second Chronicles chapter number 20, and, and the Holy Spirit just keeps illuminating truths from that passage, that's doing the right thing in the right way. Because I'm more concerned about the Holy Spirit being able to illuminate to me the Word of God than I am being able to put another notch in my belt and say, there, i got two more chapters for the day. I, don't, I read for meaning. I don't read out of compulsion. So, and that brings me to the third thing that we must do in order to develop Christ-like character. And that is this, be determined in what we do. Paul said in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 9, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control. You see, the Apostle Paul understood the level of commitment that Jesus requires of those who would be his disciples. Jesus himself expressed the nature of the commitment he requires, and he does it in graphic terms. This is an uncomfortable verse. I'm going to tell you before I read it, but then I'm going to explain it. He said in Luke 14 verses 25 through 27, great crowds were traveling with Jesus. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now that's pretty rough. But look at it in context and understand what Jesus is saying. Let me share with you the same passage from the Amplified Bible. Here's the way it reads. Now, huge crowds were going along with Jesus. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, in the sense of indifference to or relative disregard for them in comparison with his attitude toward God... And likewise his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not persevere and carry his own cross and come after or follow me cannot be my disciple. In other words, if father and mother, wife or brother and sister is more important than Jesus, Jesus says, You can't be my disciple. Jesus has to be numero uno. He he, he doesn't want to be second best. He wants to have the throne of your life. He wants to be your master, your Lord. A certain level of commitment is required if we are to separate from the crowd and be a true disciple of Jesus. Probably the most important part of that entire passage is the last sentence. It says, whoever does not persevere and carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He said in Mark 8, 34, let a man first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What does it mean to take up your cross? I had a lady come to my office once, tired of trying to talk her husband into going to church with her so frustrated by it, she came in my office and the first thing she said was, I guess my husband is, not, is just my cross in life. I said to her, ma'am, he's not your cross, he's your husband. When Jesus talks about carrying your cross, there's only one purpose that a cross has, friends. And that means you're willing to die for the cause of Christ. He wasn't using it as a, a cute little illustration. He was saying you must be willing to take up your cross in order to follow. That doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. Jesus made it very clear that the nature of our of the commitment required of a disciple is twofold. One, our supreme, there it is, numero uno, delight must be our relationship with Jesus. When I, if I ever ask you the question again, what's the most important thing in your life? The right answer? I'm going to tell you right now. Your relationship with Jesus. It's the most important thing in your life. Are there other important things? Well, of course there are. But a relationship with Jesus is the one that will pay the most dividends in your life. Because that relationship with Jesus determines where you are going to spend eternity. Paul says that since he was spiritually alive, he wasn't going to allow his flesh to determine the course of his life. He was going to make sure that his body was his servant and his inner man was the master. The desires of his body were not going to rule over him. In other words, yes, I am in the flesh. I am human. How many of you here this morning are human? Several of you. We're flesh, but we cannot let our lives be controlled by the desire of the flesh. That's why Paul said that you have to walk in the Spirit. Don't be governed by your feelings. What what sounds good to you? So first, our delight has to be, our supreme delight has to be our relationship with Jesus. And secondly, our supreme desire must be to become like Him. Jesus' words in Luke chapter 9 verse number 23 again. Deny self. Take up a cross. Mark 8 34 says the same thing. Verse 27 of our text, Paul expresses his commitment when he declares that he was determined not to be disqualified. Disqualified from what? The prize. He tells us about the prize in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 14. He said, I pursue as my goal the prize. The prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul was committed to win. He was committed to win the prize that awaited him in heaven one day. The prize not being heaven. The prize being just like Jesus. Did you catch that? Heaven's the icing on the cake. The prize is to be just like Jesus. In our minds, we can almost hear the urgency in the Apostle Paul's voice. He declares his determination to practice the disciplined habits necessary to be a real disciple of Jesus Christ. He understood well what Jesus said just after what he told the crowd in Luke 14. Hear, Hear this, hear this. Jesus said these words. Now we we sometimes glance, uh, gloss over certain w- verses that don't really grip us. But I want you to hear this one in case you've done that. Jesus said, "Now salt is good. But if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? He said, "It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out." And then Jesus adds something very important. He says, anyone who has ears should listen. Now let me explain that to you. In Jesus' day, the salt that people used came from pillars that were dug out from the Dead Sea and usually it was salt that had been mixed with other substances. They would use this salt, as they called it, to preserve food. They would use it for fertilizer on their soil. And they would also use it for manure. Often they would stack these pillars of salt outside of their homes, outside of any kind of protection, and they would sit exposed to the elements for several months at a time. But if it rained, occasionally this salt would begin to leach out of the substance, leaving only white outer material that wasn't any longer salty. Are you with me? The material was then useless. It was good for nothing, not even the manure pile. All they could do was throw the substance out. The point that Jesus is making and the one that the Apostle Paul understands and shares with us is this. A life not spent following Jesus is a worthless life. It has no meaning. It's useless. And yes, our life requires that we use disciplined habits, but these habits result in our life having eternal significance and meaning, and we fulfill our destiny of becoming like Jesus. The great preacher Haddon Robinson once said it this way, you'll give your life for something or you'll throw it away on nothing. What are you doing with your life? Jacob, worship team, would you come please? How's that, Randy? Will that work? What are you doing with your life? Are you accomplishing things of significance? Are you creating a legacy that will outlive you in this life and reward you in the life to come? Things like creating a family that honors God in the way that they live. From generation to generation. Can I just tell you how blessed I am? <laughs> my mom was adopted by my grandparents because her own parents, her, her blood parents couldn't afford another child back in the 20s. She was the third of eight children, the only one adopted out. The rest of her natural brothers and sisters experienced lives of alcoholism and prison, other things, lots of marital issues, family issues. But my mom was adopted to the Moody family. The Moody families were charter members of First Assembly of God in Garden City, Kansas. They started the church. You know why they started the church? My grandmother was a good Church of God lady until she got the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they kicked her out because she got the baptism. So her and my grandfather and my, at that time, baby mother started First Assembly of God in Garden City, Kansas. She lived a life of blessing. She married my dad, whose family became a part of that church, and that's where they met They got married and began raising a family of their own. I'm the last of that family. I lived a blessed life. You know, if one decision, one decision to not adopt my mother, who knows? Who knows what would have become of her life? I may not have had the same dad. Quite likely wouldn't have. Couldn't would quite likely not have the same godly upbringing that I've been blessed to have. Creating a family that honors God in the way that they live from generation to generation. Creating things that will result in all of us spending eternity in heaven not only with Jesus but with the entire family. Friends, nothing beats that. Nothing in this world can trump that. No pun intended. Nothing can beat that. Are you making those kinds of investments? And I close with this verse, a passage of scripture that Jesus spoke in Matthew six twenty-four. And I take this from the message because it breaks it down in a way that I've really not heard before until I came across this. He said, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. An adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. Now, that's not to say that you're Your number one thing is money. He's using that for an illustration. But what it does say is the most important thing in your life is a relationship with God. Now, we all have a relationship with God, but I want mine to be a good one, right? I want mine to be one that says, Terry, well done. Enter into the joy that I've prepared for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Real quickly. You're here this morning and say, Pastor, I confess to you I have trouble with disciplining my life. <laughs> I have trouble with discipline. I don't do those things that you talked about with consistency. I don't, I don't meditate on the Word. I don't pray. I don't give. I don't, I don't have fellowship with people of like precious faith. Sometimes it feels like I'm just taking one step forward and two steps back. That's you this morning. Just raise your hand. Tell Jesus he wants to help you. He wants to help you with that. Anyone, anywhere? Yes, I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? I see that hand. Thank you. You have trouble living a disciplined life, and you desire these disciplines that will help you win the prize of the upward calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Stand with